Father, we thank you for now bringing us to this place, a point in this service where your word will be preached. Give me utterance. Give your people understanding. Speak to us and speak through us. We want to hear. We want to understand. And we want to be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our vision given to us by the Lord is a world where no one lives or dies without Christ. This church was planted in this area 32 years ago. It's just a small group of people came together. And by the grace of God, he has worked in and through us and has brought us this far. And he alone deserves all the glory. And we give him the glory. He's not finished with us yet. I really believe our best days are ahead of us. Our most impactful days are ahead of us. We're going to make a greater difference in the future than we've made in the past. And so I want to remind us again of why no one should live or die without Christ. Why? Why is this so critical to God? Why is it, should it be so critical to us? I think um, uh, there's an actress that died recently, Anne Heck, yesterday, Anne Heck. Uh, she and, and uh, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen D, D, okay, were once a couple. Um, but Pastor Chris made a remark yesterday. She said, man, we look at these people and we call them all kinds of names. I used to call Ellen Degenerate. Ellen Degenerate, that's not her name. She has a name and that's not her name. And Pastor Chris was saying, we look at these folks and, you know, we say all kinds of things about their lifestyles and we call them all kinds of names. But she says, do we pray for them? Do we see them as souls that are lost and perishing who need Jesus, who should not live or die without Christ? Do we, do we have compassion upon them at least to pray for them and ask God to reveal himself to them? I don't know how many of us do, but I know I haven't lifted him up. I haven't called her name. I never prayed for Ellen. And so the Lord was already leading me to deal with the passage we're going to deal with today. But when I heard her saying that, I realized God is already beginning to work, at least in her heart. And, and when she heard this woman had died, she said she felt so, so bad that she had never prayed for her. And she was wondering. She's probably, probably lost forever. So my prayer for myself and for all of us is that the Holy Spirit will really, really do something in our hearts. That while we praise and magnify the Lord for all he has done for us, we will also have a heart that breaks, that cries, that moves us to pray, that moves us to give, that moves us to go. So that as many men and women as possible that we can be used of God to save from eternal damnation will be saved. I want this morning, my desire is that you will become uncomfortable. And I pray in the process I myself become uncomfortable. That we will enjoy our relationship with the Lord. We will celebrate his goodness. But at the same time, something on the inside of us will always be unsatisfied. with simply enjoying the Lord's mercy and grace and blessings while so many in this world are still lost, have never heard the gospel, are on their way to hell. So, 
why must no one live or die without hell? Let's look at just one or two passages from the mouth of Jesus or from the scriptures. Would you go with me to Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31, because this is Jesus himself speaking. And let me be honest with you, I don't like the doctrine of hell. I wish sometimes hell was not part of our message. And the fact that I wish that hell was not part of our message does not indict God, it indicts me. It doesn't reveal that anything is wrong with God, it reveals that something is wrong with me. Let me tell you this. If I or you were as perfect as God is, perfect in love, perfect in knowledge, perfect in power, if we were as perfect as God is, and we were given the the opportunity or we had the power to create all things, even as God did, you I would create heaven, I would create earth, and I would create hell. Because hell is not a mistake. In other words, the reason why I don't believe, I wish hell didn't exist, is because I'm not perfect. If I had perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, and I was the one operating from a place of perfection, I will create heaven, I will create earth, and I will create hell. In other words, I will do exactly what God did. Because what God did is a reflection of perfection. We question what God did because we are not perfect. Hell is necessary. Bishop, just say hell is necessary. Let me, let, me, let me just see if I can quickly tell you why. I'll give you an example that helps you understand. We live in a country where there are serial killers. We live in a country where there are serial rapists. Are you glad there's a prison? You didn't hear me. Are you glad that there's a prison into which those serial killers and serial rapists can be placed? So in a world, nope, we wish no heaven, we wish there were no prisons. But in a world where you have serial murderers and serial killers and serial rapists, you need a place to put them. Because if you don't put them in a place called prison and you allow them to simply roam free, the serial killer will continue to kill. The serial rapist will continue to rape. So the prison is necessary, one, because justice demands it in order to punish past evil. If a man rapes a little girl, should that man not be punished? Shouldn't justice demand that he be put in prison? If he were not, if he were allowed to simply go about his witness, wouldn't something on the inside of you call righteous indignation? Say, no, a person who does that ought not to be free to simply walk around and do as he pleases. He should be punished for that evil. Something on the inside of you says it is right, it is a just thing to do to punish evil. So the prison will be necessary, one, to punish the evil that has been done. Secondly, the prison is necessary to prevent or to protect society from the evil that will be done. 
if that person is not put away. So the prison is necessary to punish evil justice. The prison is necessary to protect society from future evil. Any righteous, just leader of society will see the necessity of a prison. Do we agree? Well, guess what? It's the same in the spirit world. Evil must be punished. Justice demands it. And so there has to be a place where evil is punished. For God not to punish evil will be for God himself to be unjust. I don't expect you to talk too much when you're talking about hell. I too, I too don't talk. But you hear me? But here's the second reason why there must be a hell. Not only to punish past evil, but to protect us and protect the world we live in from future evil. How many people in prison spend years in prison? They don't get better, they get worse. And when they're released, they go back to do the very same thing they did and more. Because the prison doesn't change them. Many times they become worse. More evil in prison. Hell doesn't change people. Hell doesn't change the devil. Hell doesn't change demons. Hell does not change evil men. In fact, the longer they inhale, the more evil they become. And if you release them, they will go back and do the same things they did and even more. So that's why you don't release certain people. You sentence them to life in prison. Because you know not only did they, what they do deserve the punishment, but if you let them out, they will do even worse. So he said, let that man stay there because if he comes out, he's going to go right back to raping and murdering. So to protect society and keep society from such evil, we must keep this person in this prison. And even so, hear me, hell doesn't change the sinner. Hell doesn't change the devil. The Bible says Jesus came and he arrested Satan and put him in the, the um, bottomless pit. For how many years? 1,000 years. And as soon as Jesus released him, what did he do? Go right back doing what he did because he didn't change. So if you're going to protect the future from the devil, he has to remain in a place that he never can get out of. If you're going to protect the world that is to come from sin, you got to keep sinners in a place that they cannot get out because if they get out, they're going to continue their sinning. So hell is necessary. And if you were God, as perfect as he is, knowing everything he knows, loving as much as he loves, you would create hell. Here's another reason why hell is necessary. Hell is necessary because God is love. And the more you love someone, the more you want to protect them from evil. Listen, you see this woman here? I love her. Right? And she loves me. And the more she loves me, the more angry she will become if you try to do something to me. You hear her? She said, oh yeah. <laughs> if someone is trying to harm me, you out there may just say, oh, Bishop, oh, you know, oh, but why you'll you run? If someone tries to harm me and Chris says, yes, Chris will run to protect me. And if she can get her hand on that person, they are in trouble. Because here's the point, the more you love someone, the more you will stand up to defend them and the more angry you will become with anyone who wants to harm them. Hmm? God loves us, his children. 
And he wants the best for us. He wants us to live in a world that is perfect. Where there is no crying. Where there is no weeping. Where there is no sorrow. Where there is only joy and peace. He wants us to live in a world where we can never be harmed. And for that to happen, he must protect us from those who would corrupt the world and those who would destroy and those who would cause harm to come to his children. And so because of his great love for us, he protects us. And one of the ways he protects us is by taking all those who could harm us and putting them in a place called hell. He said, Bishop, why doesn't he just destroy them so they cease to exist? Well, I suspect it's because a spirit cannot be destroyed. I suspect that spirits live forever. They have everlasting life. They cannot die. And because they cannot die, Wherever they are placed in, that place must be able to keep them there forever. You can't, you can't destroy them, so you got to keep them forever in a place that confines them and separates them from the rest of creation. So here's the reality. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, you're going to live forever. You cannot die. You cannot cease to exist. You are everlasting. So the decision that has to be made is where are you going to spend this everlasting life? Is it going to be in heaven with him? Or is it going to be in prison? In this spiritual prison called hell which is was not made for the devil and his angels. I mean, excuse me, was not made for human beings, was made for the devil and angels. But when human beings became what they became and they became evil, they now too are confined forever in that same place where the devil and his angels are confined. This is heavy stuff. But we got to understand why no one must live or die without Christ. And why we at Harvest cannot just be satisfied with celebrating the goodness and the mercies of God that we enjoy. We have to be mindful that the spirits of these people will live forever. And according to Jesus, will live in a place called hell. Don't worry, afterwards we'll play. But right now I want to make myself and you uncomfortable enough to do something. And not to just be complacent. If people go to hell, let them go to hell not because we didn't do our part. So let's read what Jesus had to say. When a son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory quickly. Oh my goodness. Next verse. There we go. All, the, all of us, let's read together. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate, separate from one another as a shepherd. So let me quickly summarize. We're going to rush. All the nations. That means all people, regardless of what nation you come from, will be judged. And the one who would judge would be Jesus. Savior on the cross. Dying for the sins of the world. But it's coming back in all of his glory. And one of the things he must do is that he must judge. That's his assignment. He must judge the nations. That means nobody escapes because of your color of your skin. Nobody escapes this judgment because of the nation you were born in. We know today we have privileged nations and we have nations that are not so privileged. But when it comes to that judgment that is coming, we, we call that judgment day, 
regardless of your nationality, regardless of your color, regardless of your socioeconomic status, all of us will stand or before Jesus in order to be judged by him. And the scripture says he's going to separate us, the sheep from the goats. Now, sheep are not goats. Goats are not sheep. They're different in their nature. So, hear me. Salvation is not just uh, superficial. The difference between a sinner and a saint is more than, okay, we're all human beings. Some of us believe in Jesus. Some of us don't. It's more than that. The difference between saints and sinners have to do with their very nature. Jesus said they are of their father, the devil. They have their father's nature. We are of the, the father. We have his nature. Sheep, goats. On that day, he will separate the saints from the ants, <laughs> the sinners from the saints, he will separate them. Are, are you hearing me? And it's going to be based upon their nature. Mm? The separation will be who has the father's nature, who doesn't. All of you with the father's nature to the right. All of you with his nature, the other one. Are you hearing me? So that separation is going to happen. Thank God I got the Father's nature. Amen. Say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And I believe most of you here can thank God because you have the Father's nature. You are not goats. You are sheep. And if you're a sheep, you're going to be put on the right hand. He will separate. Go next verse. He will set the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Let's keep going. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, <laughs> you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to me. That's our future. If we're in Christ. I want you to notice though. What he says after this. Go to the next verse. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. Let's read it together. I was a stranger. And you took me in. Go on. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous are who? So all those on the right who are sheep are what? Righteous. Now, if you're not careful, when you read this, where Jesus says, go to my right, because when I was hungry, you fed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was sick, you came and saw me. If you're not careful, you say, wait a minute, that's salvation by works. That Jesus is saying, it seems, that those who are righteous and those who are sheep and those who will be allowed to spend eternity with him are those who do what? You, you take care of the poor. You take care of the needy. You do good works. Amen? But now, if that is the case, if our salvation is based upon the works we do, how kind we've been, how generous we've been, how many poor people and sick people we have visited, then Jesus' death on the cross is completely unnecessary. Why did you go and die on the cross when you are going to determine salvation based upon how we treated the poor? If that is what Jesus is saying, that you will spend eternity with him or eternity in hell based upon how good you are, 
how many poor people you helped, how many naked people you clothed, how many sick people you visited, then hear me and hear me well, the cross is completely unnecessary. And we just as well go to the book of Romans and tear it up. Go to Galatians, tear it up. Go to Ephesians, tear it up. Go to Philippians, take all of Paul's epistles and just tear them up because Paul preached something completely different. For Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith. He says, it's not of works. So no man can boast. Paul said, by the works of the law, no man will be justified. So wait a minute. If we interpret this to mean that Jesus is going to be sending people to heaven or hell based upon how they treat the poor, then you know what? Throw away all of Paul's letters and stop preaching the cross. So this cannot be what he's saying. So then what is Jesus saying? First of all, remember, we said that there's a difference between the goats and the sheep. They, those who are on the right are sheep. They have a nature that is different from the goats on the left. We see that he calls those on the right righteous. And now we see that Jesus is on the throne and he is judging. Go to the, I will come back and, and conclude with that. Go to the next, go to the next, uh, 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 keep going, keep going. Go to verse 41, go to verse 41. In verse 41, he says to those on the left, he says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me. Everybody say, cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice there's a difference. When he spoke to the righteous, he says to the righteous, come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom. When he speaks to the wicked, he says, you curse. He didn't say you curse." By my father. Are you hear me? Because the father does not curse people. It is not the will of God that any should perish. People are cursed because of the broken law. That's the state they're in. And what God has done in Christ is provided a way to be delivered from the curse and to be blessed by the Father. And what the Father wants is for people everywhere, men and women, boys and girls, to be delivered from this curse and to be blessed with eternal life instead of eternal damnation. Are you hearing me? Now, it is the job of Jesus as the judge to determine who are the blessed ones who are to spend eternity in heaven, who are the cursed ones who will spend eternity with the devil and his angels. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus saying, says, just like any judge who must render a decision. I hope you, are you with me? You're not sleeping, right? Just like any judge who must render a judgment has to base that judgment on evidence. I, too, will not just arbitrarily allow some to go to hell and select some to go to heaven. He says, like any judge, I must look at the evidence, and based upon the evidence, I will set some people to my right and set some people to my left. Are you hearing me? And so now Jesus lets us know what the evidence is that he will take into account in order to determine who goes to the right and who goes to the left. Now, who are those who will go to the right? Listen to me. 
Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Who are those who will go to the right? Those who inherit the kingdom. The kingdom is an inheritance. It is not something you purchase or earn. Jesus must judge who will go to the right, who are the sheep, who will go to the left. Who will inherit the kingdom? Not who will earn it. Not who will merit it. Because here's the fact. You, can, you, you, no, you, you, you cannot afford even one square inch of land in heaven. <laughs> Are you hearing me? I know that say there's some mansions there. You, can, you, you can't even afford some of the houses in Maryland. Uh, you move to different areas because you say Montgomery County is too expensive. <laughs> you can't buy a house in Montgomery County and you think you, have, you, earn, you will be able to purchase a mansion in heaven by your works? How many poor people you have to feed? How many sick people you have to visit? How many prisoners you have to go and see? You can visit all the prisons, visit all the sick, help all the poor, feed all the sick, and you still would not have merited, earned, produced enough by your works to purchase one square inch of heaven. Heaven cannot be bought. Heaven cannot be purchased. Heaven is an inheritance. Say hallelujah! But wait a minute. Who inherits? Who is an heir? The children. You hear me? Children are heirs. Children inherit. In other words, heaven is for the children of God. Because heaven is a gift that the Father prepared from the foundations of the world for his children. Is there anybody here who's a child of God? Come on, is there anybody here who knows that you are born of God? You are a child of God. If you know you are born of God, if you know you're a child of God, go ahead, raise your hand and say, I am a child of God. One more time, I am a child of God. I have his life, I have his nature, I have his ability. Oh, hallelujah. So now Jesus' job is to determine who the children are. Jesus' job is to determine who has the life and ability and the nature of the Father in them. And Jesus said, this is the evidence. This is what I look for to determine whether his life is in you or not. To determine whether you're sheep or goat. To determine whether you're an heir or not. This is what I look for as a judge. Here's the evidence. I look at your works. Because this is characteristic of every child of God. He who is born of God has God's love in him. And the characteristic of every true child of God is that he will love the brethren. Go to 1 John chapter 3. I believe it starts at verse 13. Go there quickly. 1 John 3 verse 13. Are you with me? I'm trying to answer a question why no one must live or die without Christ. Do not marvel, my brother, if the world hates you. Next verse. We know, everybody say that, we know that we have passed from death to life because we do what? We love the brethren. He who does not love his brother, notice, he's very specific. You know you have passed from death to life. You know you have the life of God in you. You know you are born again. You know you're a child of God. You know you are an heir of God. 
and a joint heir with Jesus. You know heaven is your inheritance. How do you know that? You know that because you love the brethren. In other words, every man or woman who is born of God, every true child of God, everyone who truly believes in the name of Jesus, this is their characteristic. They love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And hear me, brethren doesn't mean everybody. No, no. When Jesus says in the parable, you did this to the least of my brethren, he wasn't talking about you did this to every poor person. Because unbelievers can, in a general way, love everybody. There are many unbelievers who are humanitarians, philanthropists. They're doing a lot of good for everybody, but they don't have a special love for his brethren. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Are you hearing me? I mean, there are some people who are helping the whole world. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, I guess. Bill Gates, I guess. These people are helping a lot of people. But they do not possess a special love for the brethren. And so Jesus must judge to determine whether you are a child of God. And he says, the thing I look for to determine whether you are a child of God is to see if you possess that special love for the brethren, not love for everybody. And here is the evidence that you possess that special love for the brethren. When the brethren was hungry, you fed him and her. When the brethren was sick, you visited him and her because you knew this was your brother, your sister. When the brethren was in prison, back then probably because they're being persecuted, you went to see them. Are you listening to me? Jesus is saying the proof that you are an heir of God and you heaven is your inheritance. The evidence is that you not only love everybody, but you, for, because you have God's nature, you have a special love for the brethren, his brethren, which are now your brethren. You, the man who does not have God's light, the man who's not born again, can do a lot of good works, but he will never possess a special love for those who believe in the name of Jesus. And so on that day when he's separating the sheep from the goats, the basis of the separation will be, okay, how did you treat my brethren? Did you have a special love which you demonstrated towards them? That when they were in trouble, you identified with them. You cared for them. You gave when they needed surgery. You prayed for them. You fasted for them. You came together to help in a special way. Because you knew this was a child of God and you were a child of God. And you were in the same family. When God saves you, he puts his love in you for the brethren. And the evidence of that love will be seen in the way you treat your brethren. And that special love that you have for them that the world will never have for them. So your love for the brethren doesn't save you, but your love for the brethren demonstrates you are born of God. You know you've passed from death to life, not because you say it, but because there is this special love on the inside of you for the brethren. You don't always like them, but you love them. You fuss with them sometimes, like in any family, 
but there's a love, there's a kinship that you have for them. Listen to me. <clears throat> if you got one person here who doesn't know Christ and he has a need for $100, this person doesn't know Christ, he has a need for $100, and you only have $100, you take care of your brother. <clears throat> you take care of your brother. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't be good to other people and you shouldn't be kind and generous to poor people. That's, that's good works. But anybody can do that. Even unsafe people can do that. But only the child of God will have a special love and commitment to his brothers. And Jesus says that's the indication that you are a true child of God. And hear me, if it's missing, if you really don't care and you don't have any special love for the brethren, you got to ask yourself, am I born of God? Now, watch, watch what they, they said to Jesus, both groups. When Jesus said, oh, you, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. How did they respond? They said, Lord, when? When did we see you naked? When did we see you home, uh, homeless? When did we see you in prison? When, when? In other words, they were surprised. They were surprised that Jesus said that they were doing these things unto him. You see, that proves that they were not trying to earn a reward or salvation. Because if they were trying to earn a reward or earn salvation by what they were doing, when Jesus said, you visited me, you clothed me, you fed me, they would say, Lord, that's so true. And I'm glad you recognized it. It wasn't in vain. That's a fact. If the love that they were demonstrating was intending to earn a reward or earn salvation, their response, oh God, thank you. Lord, I'm glad you saw me do that. And I'm glad you recognize it. And because of that, now you're giving me a place in heaven. But that was not their response at all. Their response was, Lord, we did that. Which means it was not about earning anything. It was not about meriting anything. They were simply expressing what was in their nature to do. Mothers will love their children. Not for reward. It's just in them. Are you hearing me? Children love their parents, even though they give them a hard time. It's, it's something that is natural. And when you are born of God, here, my brother and sister, will be the number one characteristic of every man or woman born of God is that he or she will have a special, special love, which means a special commitment. It's not a feeling, it's a commitment. It's a special commitment to one another. If you have it, you are an heir. Heaven is your home. If you don't have it, then there's another group. And that group said, when Jesus said to them, you didn't visit me in prison. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. They too said, Lord, when did we not see you? Now, these people could have been the greatest philanthropists. They could have done a lot of good works. But their answer suggests, equally so, that they were not demonstrating anything special for the people of God. Because had they been demonstrating anything special to the people of God, they would have been clothing them, visiting them, feeding them. But the fact that they were not doing anything special for God's people, they had no commitment to his brother, indicates they were not the father's children. They did not possess the father's nature. And so they were not heirs of eternal life. Are you hearing me? Even more so, are you hearing the Spirit of God? So then, 
Come, blessed my father, inherit the kingdom. It's eternal life. The other, depart from me, curse, into everlasting fire. Both are forever. The awful decision on that awful day is that the judgment he will make will be forever. Irreversible. Unending. You will spend eternity with Christ forever. No one, nothing will ever reverse it. You who are children of God, heaven is your inheritance. But unfortunately, that is equally true on the other side because everlasting is everlasting. And the same word that says we have eternal life also says eternal fire. And so the judgment of everlasting damnation is also forever and ever and ever. I heard a preacher speaking just yesterday, I think, or the day before. He said if it were for 1,000 years, at least you know it would come to an end. If it's for 100,000 years, at least you know, though it's long, it will come to an end. Even if it's for a million years, at least you know it will come to an end. But everlasting, non-ending, will never end. You see, if any man lives or dies without Christ, that is his destiny. And that's why no man no woman should live or die without Christ. Because heaven is real. If you live and you die in Christ, you can look forward to everlasting joy, everlasting peace, everlasting happiness, forever and ever, never ending. With Jesus, heaven is your inheritance. But if you live or die without him, that everlasting torment, everlasting, non-ending, irreversible. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. And that's the way it must be. But God does not want anyone to perish. I believe with all of my heart when Jesus says to these people on the left, depart from me, those were the hardest words. That's the hardest thing Jesus will ever do. Perhaps even harder than going to the cross. You didn't hear me because he loves them too much. He gave his life so that no one would perish. That's how far he went. To deliver men and women from hell. Hell must be serious for God to give his son and for the son to be willing to go that far. And having done all of that, that no man would perish. The hardest thing he will ever do would have to look at someone for whom he died and say to that person, depart. You're still under the curse into eternal damnation. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And that's why church harvests us. That's why we must use our time like never before. We must use our talent like never before. We must use our treasure like never before. We must sow our time, sow our talents, sow our treasures like never before that men may hear this gospel because it's only by believing on the name of Jesus that they can become children of God. This is what the Bible says. He came to his own, his own received him not. But John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power 
to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. How will they become children of God? By believing on his name. But how will they believe on his name unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? How will they hear unless someone goes? How will they hear unless someone sends? And that's our assignment. Our assignment until Jesus comes is to pray and sin and go. Say that, pray, sin, go. Beginning right here in Jerusalem, but then to the uttermost parts of the world. May this truth capture my heart and yours. And may we make a commitment. Are you hear me? To this great commission so that the sons of the devil might be delivered through the gospel, transformed from goats to sheep, possessing the nature of the Father, that they too may become heirs of the kingdom which was prepared for them from the foundations of the world. May you and I, as individuals and as a church and as a worldwide ministry, be more committed to this than ever before. It's not enough that we're going to heaven. We've got to be concerned for those who are not yet born again. Are you hearing me? Would you now just raise your hand and talk to God or bow your head, however you want to do it. But I want you to talk to God about what you just heard. And just ask the Lord to do a work in you. You know where you are and what needs to happen. Ask the Holy Spirit to do this work in you now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now go ahead and pray just for one person you know. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a co-worker. Pray for at least just one person you know and ask God to open that person's heart that they would hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and respond in faith. Pray for at least one person right now. Amen. Thank you, Lord.